You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I'm very grateful for each of you tuning in today and support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. The Jackson Hole Wine Club, making the experience of exploring new wines as easy as taking a sip. Visit jacksonholewineclub.com to sign up today. I enjoy reading and learning from others, which guides me to share a quote before we begin this episode. And today's quote is, when the mind is pure, joy follows like a shadow that never leaves. And that's from Buddha. Today on episode 197, I have the deep pleasure to interview my friend, Hal Johnson. Hal is a man with many stories. He's the guy you see around town who always offers a firm handshake, quite possibly a hug if you know him well enough, and certainly a genuine smile. Hal has many, many exciting stories to share with you today, and you have the opportunity to hear a history about this valley from Hal, which his history spans over seven decades of living right here in the valley. Hal has been blessed with an exciting life. He was married to his lovely wife, Elsie, for over 56 years. And on this episode, we all learn a few things from Hal about how to live a happy life and what a happy life means. Well, how good morning. Good morning, sir. It is a delight and a joy to see you. When you came in, I got a hug and we can all use more hugs every day. I think so. I, I think that it, it's a way of a greeting that is not harmful. That is so true. So true. And we can all remember that. Yes. Yes. We, remember we should. How you were telling me that you just celebrated a birthday. I did. And how many years have you blessed this earth? I've been here for 85 now. Congratulations. Thank you. And I feel honored and to call you my friend and to have known you over the years. And I'm so looking forward to you sharing some stories because with everybody else, because you shared stories with me whenever I get to see you and talk to you. Let's start off with where were you born, Hal? And how did you end up here in, in this area we call Jackson Hole? Well, uh, I was uh, a junior at high school over in Blackfoot. I was born in Firth, and then my junior year, I went to Blackfoot. And my father worked for the Claire Craycar Ranch out of, out of Blackfoot, and he had a feedlot. And I was blessed with him offering, because I worked for him that summer, that he offered me a, a steer that I could pick any steer I wanted out of his feedlot for FFA project. Why don't you tell people what FFA is? Because I don't think a lot of people know what FFA is. Okay, that's Future Farmers of America. And it's uh, an advanced 4-H is what it really is. And so 
I was lucky enough to take that steer on and, and was reserve grand champion at the Eastern Idaho State Fair in Blackfoot. Congrats. Thank you. And at that time, I got acquainted with Gib Scott, Betty Woolsey, and Walt Callahan. They went over to the fair and they visited with me. And Betty Woolsey said, I've got a ranch in, in Wilson, Wyoming. If you ever want a job, come over, I'll have a job for you. So a couple of years later, I found myself not doing anything. I'd, I'd worked two previous summers down on a cattle ranch in Evanston, Wyoming. And so I didn't want to go back there. And I thought, well, I'll go over and give Jackson a, a hit. So I come over and went to work for Betty Woolsey. And how old were you when you came over to work for Betty Woolsey? I was 20 years old. And that was 1957. And you left your family. I did. I mean, in today's world, Blackfoot's not that far, but in 57, that was a haul. It, it was, and it, I'd, I'd been, like I say, in the summers down at uh, uh, Evanston, Wyoming. So I, I'd really left home pretty young and just go back once in a while. And give people an idea of who Betty Woolsey was. Betty Woolsey uh, owned the Trail Creek Ranch in Wilson. She was uh, an Olympic skier, I think, in 1938. Her and Sis Wigglesworth, who Sis was there at the ranch, worked with her also. And Trail Creek Ranch is still there. It is. It's. Uh, I, I understand now it's a bed and breakfast that uh, they have. Mug Schultz is still there, and she'd she had been there for since I think she was eighteen years old. Mm -hmm. She she uh, worked with Betty and for Betty, and kind of managed the ranch and. And Betty built a house on the place for her and left it to her. And so as long as she's alive, she's got that, that house. And now part of this ranch now has been put into uh, cross-country skiing. Right. And so you, you came out here. And how long did you work for Betty? And what were some other things that you did? Well, I worked for Betty all summer. And then Gib Scott owned right where we're sitting right here now. Uh, all from the Virginian Motel all the way down to the highway, down where Shervin's is, on over to the Motel 8. All of that was Gib Scott's Ranch. And so that winter, I fed cows for him and horses for Dr. McLeod. And the town of Jackson, they, uh, they had the cutter races in the winter, and Star Valley didn't want them to have the finals here because, as they said, well, Jackson doesn't have a t team running. So the town of Jackson paid me to put a team together, <laughs> and, and I used my rope horse and Mike Taylor's rope horse, and uh, Gibbs got furnished the cutters. At that time, we run on cutters, which was little sleighs with runners. Now they use uh, wheels on on the carts. But uh, George Lumley furnished the truck, enclosed truck for me to haul my horses down to Afton to the races down there. And needless to say, I never won a race, but uh, Jackson was represented. So they got to finals here and they've had them ever, had them ever since. So that's awesome. And when you ran cutters and it was here in Jackson for the finals, was it still on the town square running in front of the ward? 
Nope. That year they started, and our starting gate was right here where we're sitting now. Okay. Uh-huh. And we run right down the Gibb Scott's field, okay. and the cars all parked up along the highway. And was there a highway coming into town at that point? Yep. 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 The same one that's there. And when you came out here, how many paved roads were there? Uh, not a heck of a lot, come <laughs> to think of it. The main road through was paved, but uh-huh. nothing else. And of course, at that time, there wasn't any of this, these roads through where we're sitting now. There wasn't any, anything here. It was all ranches and the ranch. And uh, there, there wasn't a heck of a lot of anything going on. If you didn't have a job in the winter lined up, you, uh, you better get your butt out of town because you're going to starve to death. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet. Now, what caused you to stay here? I would leave after that winter. I'd go uh, to either California or Arizona in the winter. Oh, would you? Yeah. How many years did you do that? Uh, Until I was drafted in the service in 1960. Okay. So I went down there two winters and uh, then was drafted in the service. I went to to Germany to an Army security base. I ended up being supply sergeant in in that base. I was there for two years, then come back and went uh, to work for Betty again that summer. I got out in May of of 62, and uh, I worked that summer and then went to California that winter, and I met a lady down there named of Elsie, mm-hmm. and uh, so I started dating her and, and stayed down there all that summer then in California, and, and in that October, we got married, and then the next spring, we moved back up to Wilson, and we went to work for Betty again. How many years were you and Elson there? 56. When she passed away, she got cancer, and she's out of pain now. She's with you forever in your heart. Yeah. Everybody else? Absolutely. She, she done a job. Yes. Yes, indeed. And so you both came here to work for Betty? Yes, we did. And what did life look like at that point? And you said you moved to Wilson at that point. Well, at at that time, uh, Dr. Huff had a a place back over behind Trail Creek Ranch on on the forest there. Uh And he let us have one of his cabins. And we lived in it for part of the summer. And then Sandy Mosley, well, Sandy Chapman, uh wanted me to come and and live there on her place and and in place place of rent i was to irrigate and and do things like that to help out so we did that for the summer and then betty at that time had gone ahead and built remodeled one of the cabins there at the ranch and they called it hal's cabin and and so we moved there for the winter and then the next summer why that's when we bought the the place in in Wilson. And during that time, were you bouncing between working with one person and the other, or were you working for them all at the same time? No, I was working for Betty and then did putting in my time with uh, uh, Sandy Chapman when I was. Uh, so with those seasonal cabins that are back there behind Trail Creek Ranch, mm-hmm. you probably saw some of those go in or. 
would see the people come and stay? No, they were they were already there, and 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 they just used them for family. They didn't know they didn't rent them out or nothing. They just right. it was just family use. Did you ever meet some of those people coming in? I I did, I did. So then, did you meet? I guess my father-in-law when he was a kid, or his parents coming in and out of there, because that's where Laura's dad grandfather built his cabin back there really yeah that's where her he's either the fourth cabin or the first cabin if you're coming up the road now it's the first cabin but the way it used to come up a long time ago it would have been the fourth cabin i'll be darn now i did not know that that's history that i did not know small world it It is it really is small world so you and elsie bought a place in wilson and what were some things that you guys did is live in life and, and this is probably now in the 60s this yeah in 64 is when we moved back up here and and uh i was shooing i shod horses i was the only horse shore for a, a, a year or two here in the valley i'd start the only one uh, the only one i brought uh another horse shore from idaho over to and he stayed with us and and helped me catch up because we'd start at the north end of the valley and just chew our way clear on down south and and I'd get through down south and it'd be time to start over again. Oh and I used to shoe horses for uh, Mrs. Hunt who had race horses at the county at the fairgrounds at that time. See that was all put in there in 1911 and where the city shop is now that was the stables across there and then there was a big log barn right down where the road existing road is now and i rode worked out race horses for blaine and lamont heap from afton they'd have horses that would go sour or buck jockeys off or just get a little agitated and, and so they'd bring them up and i'd work them out there on the track uh, the opposite way. We always worked horses the opposite way of what you run them so that they'd never associate. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And I'm fascinated how, how did you learn all this stuff? Trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> so when somebody came to you and said, I got a, a racehorse with a problem, can you fix it for me? You're like, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But was there a time where you had never done it before? Uh, years ago. With my size, I was offered over in Blackfoot an uh, uh, opportunity to exercise racehorses, and I turned it down because mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather do the cowboy thing than the racehorse thing. Fascinating that I had no idea that there were racehorses out yeah. here. Yes. Yeah, Mrs. Uh, uh, Hunt had a racehorse that she called Nevada Grubstake, and she had run him here in the summertime and then take him to uh, Nevada in the winter and run him. And, and he was an ornery son of a gun and horse. They had him so hopped up on grain that he he just couldn't stand his own self. And she demanded that I shoe the horse in the stable, in his stall. And he put me in the manger three times, striking and kicking and biting. He was just, just a tough horse. And so I had enough of that old stuff. So I took him outside and exercised him a little bit with my rasp on his side and, and uh, tied him up the hitch rail and shot him. And he just stood there like a little gentleman. And Mrs. Hunt come out and swore up and down. I'd ruined her horse. And I said, well, Mrs. Hunt, 
if I've hurt your horse, you don't owe me nothing, but don't ever call me again. And so six weeks later, she called me and she says, Hal, Nevada needs his shoes changed. And I said, your way or my way? And she said, your way. And I said, thank you. And I, he and I never had a problem from then on. That's excellent. Yep. Do you find that communication like that still happens? No, no. We, we've lost touch with communications. It's, and, and it's sad in a, in a way that we've, we've gone so far away from just being a good old handshaking country. We, we don't do that anymore. And, and Wilford Nielsen was the only attorney in this town back in the 57s. And he told me one day, he said, one lawyer will starve to death in a town. He said, you get two lawyers and we'll make a de decent living. Hey. He said, you get three. He said, we'll get rich. And, and that's very true because one lawyer would say, oh, come on, Stefan, you and Hal just shake hands and go have a drink. And uh, that would end the, our problems. Two lawyers, you have one, I have one, and they put heads back and forth. So uh, the money exchanges hands then. And then three, one's agitating while the other two are, are doing the business. So now, now we've got, what, 500 lawyers? A lot of them. Yeah. Lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For some reason, people feel they need a lawyer for everything. Yep. Yeah. And I've lost a lot of that handshake. We have. We've lost it all. Mm -hmm. There isn't any more. That's right. And and also the part about you talking to Miss Hunt, you were able to be polite and direct and honest with her. And she didn't take any offense to it. She said we were always friends. Mm -hmm. We we was friends before. We were friends after mm -hmm. the episode. And and I did what I felt I had to do to get the situation under control. And, and it was fine with me. If she, if it upset her, why that'd be fine. I wouldn't charge her for the shoeing. Right. Which was only back in those days, $5. <laughs> what does it cost to shoe a horse nowadays? Uh, probably 125. Oh my gosh. I raised after a couple of years, I raised my price to $10 and everybody says, oh, yeah, we can't afford $10. You can't do that. And I go, yeah, well, I've got to because price of shoes and nails and gas and everything has gone up since the $5 days. And, mm -hmm. and so everyone went for it. Yeah. No problem. That's right. And I'd shoe horses in the summer and, and uh, I had a feed store and Purina put me out of business there. You had a feed store in Wilson. In Wilson, where in Wilson was your feed store? Right at the house. Okay. Uh, I had, and I think the garage is still there. Uh -huh. A green garage okay. that was at my house, and and uh, Purina came to me and said, "We want you to sell our product." And I said, "I don't like Purina products." And they said, "No, we want you to sell our product." And I said, "I don't like your product." He said, "You will sell." our product. And I said, no, I won't. And so they opened a feed store in Jackson. Mm. They put selling stuff cheaper than I could buy it. Mm. Until I was put out of business, then they raised their prices. Oh, of course. Yeah. And a big company like that can take a loss mm -hmm. in areas. Was Purina at that point owned by the current, no, the current family 
who owns that now didn't own it then. I, I have no idea even who owned it back then. I just uh, didn't like their products. And... Mm-hmm. I, I get it. So what else did you do here, you and Elsie, raising kids? How many kids did you guys raise, Hal? Two. We had the half and uh, was born in 1965. And then our daughter Jody was born in 1971. There's seven years between them. Okay. In 1964, in the winter, I went to work uh, at uh, ski area. I was the first winter tram conductor they had. What year was that? 1964. Year to the ski, uh, the tram opened for skiing. Uh-huh. And uh, that's another story. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> well, they, <laughs> Alex Morley and and uh, Paul McAllister owned it, and and they <laughs> Paul demanded that all of the tram operators wear a red coat and have black slack pants, and I said, "Are you furnishing the coat?" And pants, and he said, "No, you furnish them yourself." And I said, "I will not furnish them." I said, "You want me to wear it? You furnish it." So <laughs> they furnished me a red coat, and I wouldn't wear the black pants. I wore my Levi's. So <laughs> we'd go up the tram, and it'd be clear full of people, and Paul would be on it, and he'd look over and say, "Your jacket or mine?" And I said, "It's yours." <laughs> so we we laughed about it for a couple of three years. I love it. I love it. And being the first tram operator, I mean, who taught you how to drive the tram? They did. Okay. It was just up and back. Uh-huh. They can't leave the track. No. <laughs> it was windy up there. I mean, that was a big deal. It was. Uh, that, that winter, uh, the wind blew so hard as it happened. It was on... Uh, Saturday and Sunday of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And it took him uh, 45 minutes to dock me on top because the wind was blowing so hard. 45. We, we'd just inch in and uh-huh. then hold it until the wind would give a break. And then I was on the radio and I'd say, okay, give me another little bit. And then it took 40 minutes to get it inside of the, the platform up there to dock. And they said, well, go down into the ski patrol and and uh, we'll call you when we think we can get you out. Uh-huh. So uh, they five o'clock that night, they called and says, well, we can't get you out. So uh, uh, just spend the night and we'll get you down tomorrow. Well, the next day, the wind would blow so much and there was a little TV up there. So I sat up there and watched the Super Bowl <laughs> on the little TV set. <laughs> Uh, all by yourself all by myself they they always had a night person up there Uh he'd take the last car up in the afternoon and then he'd spend the night and then come down the next morning so they had a person on top all night uh, throughout all the time and why do they always have a night person up there to protect the the stuff and and in order to dock the last car, he'd either have to stay there or walk out. Oh, yeah. And if he walked down, then somebody would have to walk back up the next morning and be in the car to, to bring him back down. So, that's right. Yeah. That's, that's a good point right there. Yeah. Let's talk about you working in, in Wilson and in the, in the fire department. You were part of the volunteer fire department here in the area. 
And when you joined, was it just all one community fire department or was it separate Jackson and Wilson? It was, it was still all the same, uh -huh. but we started the chicken fry over there to make up money to buy equipment because the, the town of Jackson and the, the county couldn't afford to supply all of the stuff that we needed. So uh, we, we started the chicken fry to make a little bit of money to offset some of the, the cost to the county. And it was all, it's, who came up with the recipe for that? See, I think that's the best chicken in town. You know, I get it once a year. Yeah. The funny thing of it was, it was, it was kind of Howdy Hardeman, Earl Hardeman, Mike Taylor, Wally Johnson, who was my brother, and uh, myself. We all just kind of tried different things till we mm -hmm. settled on that particular recipe. And so I think it was a little bit of, of everybody's recipe. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love it. So you just mentioned your brother. Was this a younger brother or older brother? Older brother. And he came out here at some point? Yes, he came out. You know, I don't really remember what year he came here. 53 or 54 for a while and then went back to Idaho and then come back again. And, and uh, he married a girl that was working for Jenny Heidi Cooper. Oh, okay. And... She was made for an housekeeper for the Heidi Coopers. Her her name was Laura Martin. And her and Wally then bought the place just below the Heidelberg. They had uh, 5.9 acres there. And as it happened, years later, the, the county deemed that they had to have six acres for either one of his children. He had two kids, boy and a girl, Wayne and Helen. And for either one of them to build a house on the place, he had to have six acres and he only had 5.9. And so after Laura passed away, why her ashes were scattered on the, the place there. And Wally went to the county commissioners and he said, uh, you know, you need to do something here. I, my, the taxes are so darn high that I, I can't afford to, to have pay for them myself. So let me put, let one of the kids build a house there and, and share the taxes. Nope. Nope. Got to have six acres. Mm -hmm. And so his neighbor offered him a 10th of an acre of his place. Cause he had 20, four or five acres and the county wouldn't let him. What? No, you'd have to subdivide to, to be able to put the 10th of an acre over. So Wally went to the county commissioners again and he said, look, you got to do something. Let me build at least one place. And they said, no. And uh, he said, uh, one of the county commissioners, and I won't say what her name was, but she's still in the county said, uh, well, Sal, look at all the money you'll make. Oh my gosh. And he said, I didn't buy the place. My wife's ashes are on it. I didn't buy it to sell. Well, he eventually had to sell it. And, mm. and he had such animosity towards the county and, and town that years later, he, he ended up up in Cody. And years later, he wouldn't even drive through Jackson. He'd go the long way around. He'd go be in Mesquite in the wintertime and then 
he'd go clear down to Saratoga and back up the back way just to bypass Jackson. I, I could never get him to come back over through. And is that kid Wayne? Is that who ran the coach for yes. a bunch of years yes. as well? Yep. Wow. What a shame. And now it doesn't have to be six acres to build another house. I don't know whether or not yeah. up there, yeah. you know? Oh, what a bummer. Yeah. I, it, like the generosity of a neighbor said, well, I'll give you the land. Yeah. Yeah. Tell you what, how we're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor, and we're going to come back and learn more <laughs> about your history and the history of this valley. It's, it's fascinating. Thank you. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,662 tons of food waste are disposed of in the trash in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve the county's goal to reduce, aiming for zero waste. For more information on Teton County, ISWR's residential and commercial food waste programs, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle. Change begins with each of us, one day at a time. Al, welcome back. Your brother living here and his history. So when you and Elsie bought in Wilson, how big of a place did you guys buy? We had an acre. You had an acre. Uh-huh. Do you remember what you paid for your acre? $30,000. $30,000. Yeah. Now, an acre in Jackson would probably go for about $4 million. Well, the people that bought it from me, she was a school teacher in, in uh, Jackson, or I mean in Wilson. And... Her husband was Skip Givens, and he had retired out of the FBI along with uh, Bob Rank. I remember Skip. Uh, yeah. He used to come in the store. He's, he's an awesome guy. I remember him walking yeah. in the store. He'd buy Beaujolais Nouveau in Havis, hold on to it till the next year. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the new one came out, he would take what he bought the previous year and then have us hold on to the other two cases for the next year. Yeah. Yeah, he he was priceless. He and he and uh, Bob Rank come in together, and only Bob stayed in politics, and uh, uh, Skip didn't. He just uh, survived and and had a good time. That is that is hilarious. Are you part of the Order of the Odd Fellows? I am. Yeah, I've I've been a member since uh, 1983. I'm past Noble Grand, and past deputy grand for the state of Wyoming. Uh-huh. And back way back, if we want to back up again. Sure. Elsie and I bought the rodeo from Bill Saunders in 1967. Are you, you buy a rodeo? Yes. Okay. Uh, Walt Callahan had it over in, in Wilson. And I was pick. I he started uh, when I first started here. In 1957, he offered me the opportunity to learn to pick up bucking horses. And so I took it and, and I picked up for him. And then Bill Saunders bought it from him and I picked up for Bill. And then in, it was while I was in Germany that the city went to Bill and told him to either move the rodeo to Jackson or they'd hire, get somebody else to come in. They wanted a rodeo in town. Mm -hmm. And so Bill moved the rodeo from Wilson to Jackson. 
And then when I got out of the service in 62 and stayed in California for until 64, then uh, I picked up for Saunders. And then in 67, I, I went in partners with Bob McConaughey, who had the R Lazy S Ranch, and we bought the rodeo from Bill Saunders. What was it like running the rodeo? How many years did you guys do that? Until 71. I sold it in 71, my part to, to him, because I had, it was right at the time that my feed store went under, mm-hmm. and it was tough sledding here in the valley, and and I thought the way the new people were moving in is going to ruin the valley. So I sold out and we, I had uh, Thatcher school down in Ojai, California was, uh, it's an all boys school at that time, uh, contacted me and wanted me to come down and be director of the horse program there. They had, uh, all had the program that all the freshmen had to have a horse. Mm-hmm. And then the sophomores could either have a horse or, do sports and and then junior and senior year it was your option you could keep your horse or or uh, go ahead and not have one so i was there for four years and and then they went co-ed they worked it out with the Emma willard all-girls school in troy new york and so we had the junior girls there and our junior boys had went to new york to be at that school there so the headmaster told me that they had had budget cuts and they was going to have to uh, cut my horse program a little bit from help. And, and at that time I had seen it was growing because of the junior girls. They all wanted horses, horses and girls just get along together. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you just go ahead and cut me then? Mm-hmm. And so I left and went in partners with the guy up in Northern California on a, on a ranch and we put up hay and, and then two presidents and a crooked partner, they broke me. Oh no. Yep. Sorry. You had a crooked partner. Well, I understand well, how he made his million dollars. And, oh. and, uh, so Elsie and I sold the kids horses and, moved back to Jackson and started over. And what did you do when you came back to start over? I uh, went to work at the Four Lazy F Ranch, their cattle ranch, which is now Three Creek Ranch, mm-hmm. or Three Creek Golf Course. The Four Lazy F? Four Lazy F. Who had that? The Frews. Well, it was the Olivers that had it then. The Mr. Frew started it, and he, he had... Uh, the guest ranch was up in Moose behind the Moose Visitor Center. Oh, yeah. And then the Poodle Ranch, which is still the first ranch as you leave town at Spring Gulch on the left, that was their fall home. Uh-huh. And then their, the cattle ranch was the ranch down here where the Three Creek Golf Course is. So they had different sections of ranch. Yes. And, and Mr. Frew was uh, come out here from Swickley, Pennsylvania. And, and started buying. He was uh, U.S. Steel uh-huh. in in Pittsburgh, and uh, he started buying. And then his daughter Emily married Charles Oliver or Henry Oliver, excuse me, Henry Oliver, and uh, they continued to run run the ranch. And and uh, Ike Crear managed the cattle ranch, and I went to work on it. And 
then uh, the Olivers came to me and asked me. I lived down on uh, the lower cattle ranch, and mm -hmm. and they asked me if I'd move into the poodle ranch and and be there with it. And I kind of hesitated because I knew the history of the poodle ranch. The Olivers stayed there, and I Creer was jealous of anybody that was at the poodle ranch because he was afraid they was getting closer to the Olivers than he was. Who was jealous? But, I, I Creer, the manager of the oh, okay. uh, the ranch. Got it. And uh, I said, you've got to make it to where it's Ike's idea. So I don't know how they talked to him, but anyway, he came to, Ike came to me and said, well, the Olivers want you to move into the Poodle Ranch. He said, I'll tell you this, it won't jeopardize your job a bit if you say no. Mm. And I said, Ike, will it jeopardize my job if I say yes? And he said, that is time to be seen. So I took it, and holy mackerel, it was a tough go. He was a tough guy, a tough cookie. He'd come there of a morning and say, uh, well, you stay here till I come back. And it might be two days before he come back. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so then it, it got to where every afternoon, him and his friend, they loved the bar. Mm -hmm. So... My job was to drive them to town in the afternoon, five o'clock, and stay until they was ready to come home. They'd drink. I'd drink coffee because I knew that I could not for, afford a DUI. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then I'd be wired by the time we'd get home at midnight. It'd be two o'clock in the morning before I could get to sleep. And next morning, I'd get up in the air gate again. Oh, my gosh. So that went on all summer. And then I finally said, no, that's enough. And I quit. And then I went to work with, well, what is the Jackson Hole Lodge in town? I was managing it. And then Oliver's came to me and asked me if I'd take the, manage the dude ranch up at Moose. So I went out and managed it for 10 years. For 10 years? Mm -hmm. And And the ranch was the four lazy F? The four lazy it was the guest ranch in, in Moose. So you and the family lived up there during the winter as well? Uh, year round. Year round. Yep. And Even though it was just operating in the summer. Share with people what 10 years, what years were, was that living up there? And what was it like living up there in the wintertime? Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was. <laughs> yeah. What years were those? Uh, well, let's see, in between... In 85, I managed the Melody I managed the Melody Ranch for Paul von Gonzard for five years. Mm -hmm. And then went to the lodge and then went to the Four Lazy F Ranch up there. So it was 83. Holy mackerel, everything runs together. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, That's all right. So when you say it was awesome living in the winter yeah, up there, it was peaceful. share with people what the experience was like. It was peaceful. It was quiet. And I, I had a Steiger that I kept the road open with. Elsie worked downtown here for Dr. Shelley, and uh, he was an eye doctor. Should drive in town every day? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, I, I'd keep the road up there open with the, the Steiger, and, and I'd go over into the sagebrush there by where the Transfiguration, uh, Moose Transfiguration Church is, and uh, make windrows so that because uh, we had a lot of wind and then blow the road shut, and that'd 
that'd take care of it. And the park come to me and they said, Hey, you're damaging sagebrush out there. We can't have you doing that. And I said, well, you guys damage a lot of sagebrush too. Do you want to change exchange pictures? And they said, well, just kind of be careful, will you? <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> and I'd done it anyway, but <laughs> I love it. I bet there was more snow then than there is now in the winters. There was. Yeah, there was. There, it, Everything was more. You know, we, we've we gone through this change of, of climate, and people blame it on the different things. But holy mackerel, back in 1928, when 29, when they had the duff bowl and all through the Midwest and, and grasshoppers eating all the crops, and, and you know, it's... It's history. Mm-hmm. It it goes on. It it does go on. That's that's very true. We started talking about the Order of the Odd Fellows. Yeah, <laughs> you're one of the few people that I know that's a member, and it, it's been around here in the valley for a long, long time. Nineteen seventeen. It had uh, its first office was right on the town square, uh-huh. right where the stagecoach office is now and in 1934 the city asked the odd fellows to move the building they didn't want any buildings on the town square so they moved it over where it is now and the city had given them that lot mm-hmm. that it's on okay to move and what is the order of thoughts the odd fellows started in the 1400s in england and it's the IOOF, Independent Order of Fellowship. And it got changed to the Odd Fellows because at that time in England, they was having a tough go. A lot of people were starving. So a banker and a town bum went together and, and started getting collecting food and taking it around to people that they knew that was needy and, and helping them out. And it, at that time, people says, God, what an odd couple to start doing something like that, a banker and a bum. Mm-hmm. And it just evolved from them. Mm-hmm. It, it stayed with the odd fellows. And we do things to help anyone in the community that needs help. We put out six scholarships a year for Jackson senior students. We give... Uh, $6,000 a year to the senior meals. Any Anybody that we find in the community that needs help, we just put out $1,500 the other day for a young gentleman that fell off his bike and, and got a, a big swelling on his head, and he's having to go through a lot of operations. And, and so we, we do things like that with our, our money. That's very, very kind. And how many members do you all have now? We have close to 20. And how does one become a member of the Order of the Odd Fellows? Just come up and and talk to any one of us. And and, uh, we've got uh, slips on our door. Uh Uh, You can pick one up and and fill it out and mail it in to us or give it to one of us. We need members and uh, we'd love to have more. All right. And... Now you are working for your son, Hap. I am. Paybacks are hell. (laughs) 
Does he pay you? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, well, one time I told him, I yeah, just clowning around. I said, son, you know, I could use a raise. And he said, dad, I'll give you a raise just like you did me back on the ranch. He said, double nothing is still nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no. I love it. How many years have you been working for HAP? Uh, 22. All right. And during that time, you've seen a lot of cool people come in town. I've had the opportunity to work for a lot of wonderful people. I, even though I wasn't all that fond of them, I still did my job and I did it to the best of my ability. And some of those people, whether you're fond of them or, or not, we're not going to get into that, but you, um, 22 years, there's been a few precedents that have come I uh, I did the security on for Bill Clinton's birthday party, and the this is going to be a cool story because I was told that there would be seven cars come through, no more. So the seven cars in the procession went through. The eighth car I stopped. And they said, we're coming through. And I pulled my gun and I said, no, you're not. Back up. Uh-huh. So the car backed up and they just sat there. Pretty quick, I heard the car motor down below. This was down at Wolfeson's Ranch. And I heard the car down below rev up and tire squeal and here it come flying up the road. Guy jumped out and he says, Hal, I am so sorry. There was another car added in. We need this car. And I said, okay. And I opened the gate and waved him on through. And as they went through in the back end of this car, there was two guys sitting, big burly guys sitting back there and they had machine guns. Oh man. <laughs> I was outgunned, <laughs> but they stayed back. Uh-huh. And after it was all over with, they come out and thank me for, that I'd done the right thing, but <laughs> it, it makes you wonder. Yeah. You followed protocol. I did. You did exactly I did. what they told you. Yeah, I did. Seven cars. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And for the, on that same ranch, uh, two years in a row for 10 days. I, uh, I done security for queen of Netherlands, awfully nice lady. And, and, uh, that's fabulous. Yeah. And a lot of those people come out here and most people don't even know they're here. Yeah. Right. Right. Because there's so many well-connected people that have places mm-hmm. out here. Orbs used to have a ranch out here. And so I don't know if they still have their place out. Here. I, I don't know either. I, yeah. It's, uh, it's been a, it's an interesting valley. It really, when you stop and look at it, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, for what, seven years, we did security on Air Force Two whenever Vice President Cheney had come in. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were the only security company in the United States that done work for the government. All the rest of them has has been they bring their own people. Mm. And there was someone at the airport that complained to the government about hiring private security. So they started bringing their own, they let us go and brought their own, started training their own people to come out. And then it cost them three times the amount of money. Mm. But that's all right. 
That's all right. Government money. That's right. <laughs> In some ways, it's endless. Yep. Yep. So, you know, it's been interesting. Well, how I so appreciate you sharing just a small, small piece of what you've done in your life and these stories and keep, keep spreading the love and the joy of everybody that you touch and you come in contact with. I only enjoy around people that enjoy life. Mm-hmm. And, and it's easy to see. You can, you can tell right off whether the person is happy with himself in the world or is miserable. Yeah. Life is a lot better when you're happy. It is. Mm-hmm. No reason to be bitter and angry. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Just let it go. I, I, can't, uh, I can't change. I, I love life, even though I lost Elsie. Why I've gone on and I, I love what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. I've got bees and I've got my big yard and I, I enjoy myself. I'm glad you do. And more people can learn from you too. Oh, thank you. You got it. Take care, Hal. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. To learn more about Hal Johnson and his joyful life, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 197. Thank you, all of you folks who are tuning in for the first time. I look forward to seeing you back again for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection. For everybody who's a returning listener, get out there keep sharing this podcast. I appreciate all of the kind words when I see people, oh, I heard your podcast. That's what keeps us going for me. And thank you to my wife, Laura, to my boys, Lewis and William, my marketing and editing director, Michael Morey. Everyone, I sure hope to see you back here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection. Thank you for your time today. Go have a phenomenal, joyful day.